Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Chris Bartlett, who not only is the official quote-unquote media C-3PO, but who also has had numerous roles in these first two seasons of The Mandalorian. His story of turning his hobby into a profession is super inspiring, and his stories of working with people like Anthony Daniels, Carl Weathers, Werner Herzog, and Barack Obama are such a delight. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 90, Chris Bartlett. just start at the very beginning of you and Star Wars. What was that first experience with Star Wars growing up? And obviously it shaped something within you to begin with. Yeah, for sure. First of all, thanks again uh, for having me, Brandon. I'm really excited to be able to talk with you on Talking Bay 94. I uh, I started, like a lot of people, uh, saw Star Wars when I was seven in 1977. And uh, uh, it just really ignited my imagination for um, uh, you know a world I'd never uh, considered before, you know? I just uh, saw it in the theater with my parents and uh, they, they took us all to see it. And, and then that's it. You know, you, you see it in the theaters and then there's no, no runs on TV. There's no, you know, streaming or anything like that. So you go home and, and uh, we, you know, I got all the figures and, and uh, you know, I'd save up and go to the hobby store every Saturday and buy another figure. And, uh, and then we just, make up stories, you know, in my living room, on the shag carpet, or in the backyard, on the brick wall, or whatever. That small, humble beginnings to coming to where we are today with The Mandalorian, the kind of stories we're hearing in Mandalorian are um, very similar in spirit to the kind of stories that we were making up with these fringe, you know, action figures, the fringe characters. Not, yeah, we all had Luke and Darth Vader, but you know, there's Snaggletooth and there's R5-D4 and Walrus Man and stuff like that, where we're making up stories with them. And so this Mandalorian really feels a lot like that. So it's really cool, a really cool circle for, for me. I love it. From that inspiration, from that love, your, your career path is very interesting to me just because it's so like hyper-specific where you are now. What training, education, whether it's improv or actual making of the props, did you have during this whole process? Um, well, as a kid, we, uh, you know, we, we just had the, the Ben Cooper, uh, plastic, um, uh, costumes available, but my parents inspired me by building my own robot costume. It was a big, it was big silver cardboard box with, you know, dryer, uh, hose arms and stuff like that. But inside, that was my first time that I felt like I am I, I could be anything I want, you know, as far as the character and, and the reaction that you see from my friends, you know, I was literally, I was uh, probably eight at the time, you know, mm-hmm. and eight years old. So, uh, but my dad was always, he, he was always uh, kind of creative in that way. He was always a do it yourselfer. And while he wasn't necessarily an artist, he was kind of an engineer and he really inspired me to make my own stuff. So they, then, you know, one year they made my Luke Skywalker costume with, you know, with a like karate gi and, and a tinfoil belt and stuff. It was just, I just felt like I was really the character, you know? Uh-huh. So fast forward to later in life, I um, started building my own about 2000. I, I started building my own costumes. You know, there's the, those first 
stormtrooper kits that came out, you right. know, um, that, that looked pretty close to, you know, movie accurate, more so than what you would see at like, you know, the Halloween store or something. So I built, built those and that led to a relationship uh, membership in the 501st. And that led to, you know, appearances and things like that. But before I knew about the 501st, I was just, I went online and was looking for anything I could wear this stormtrooper costume to, you know, right. I was like, oh, there's a, an astronomy uh, exhibition. I could, t- I could wear it to that, you know, right. like, and so that's what I did. And, and uh, I really got to love, regain the love for characters and, and creating characters and, and performing. And then uh, after that, I, I built a, um, you know, Tuscan Raider and I built right. Jawas for my kids. And I started uh, TK409.com, which, which uh, TK409 is my number in the 501st and would just, you know, a lot of people on the forums, you know, would help me with tips on how to do stuff. And then I would just put that stuff up and say, Hey, so-and-so thought of this idea. I tried it. It works. Look at this. And then I just kept building. Then I built a Boba Fett um, that was kind of like a special edition Boba Fett. Anyway, just building costumes. Right. And then came to uh, C-3PO, which was the, um, the one that uh, was noticed by Lucasfilm, Steve Sansweet and Mary Franklin over at Lucasfilm. And uh, they called me in to finish building it at Lucasfilm and to audition for the role of media C-3PO. Right. Well, that's, I mean, not a big deal at all, right? That's not a not a big challenge or a big stressor, I'm sure. Getting yeah. that call and, and having to do that officially. Well, when you're building these costumes, you know, I'm, 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 I was thinking like, you know, I want these to be as movie accurate as possible. I'm, you know, I'm performing with the 501st and whenever I would go out, I would try and make it, make the illusion feel as real as, wow, this, these characters must be on loan from Lucasfilm. That's what I'm like, you know, right. trying to project. You know, you wouldn't want to see a stormtrooper with his helmet off, you know, having a smoke uh, outside right. or whatever. So um, so that's what I was uh, doing. And you, the dream is, wow, wouldn't it be cool if they, if it was somehow in small, some small way recognized by Lucasfilm right. as being legitimate, you know, or like, hey, good job. That would, that would have been enough, right? right. And so then... Uh, the ultimate dream is that, well, wouldn't it be able to, wouldn't it be cool if it was used in something? Um, but of course that will never happen because I'm just building stuff in my garage and it's not, you know. Right. So uh, when I did get the uh, the call from Lucasfilm, um, I actually didn't have my C-3PO in hand because it was at the Chrome shop. I was having it Chrome. I didn't have any idea how I was going to pay for it. I was just like, I'll figure it out, you know? And uh, when Lucasfilm called, I was like, all of those dreams that I was planning on now are crushed because I don't have the thing that I was working on and they called, I'm not expecting this. So I I told them the situation that it was was at the Chrome shop and they said, oh, hang on just a second. And then they got on the phone with the Chrome shop and said, hello, uh, this is Lucasfilm. (laughs) You have a C-3PO costume there. We would like you to finish it this week instead of five weeks from now. And they said, oh, yes, we'll get right on that. We finished it. <laughs> they, you know, shipped that up to Lucasfilm. And uh, they uh, flew me out to Lucasfilm from North Carolina, where I was living at the time. And I, they introduced me into this room. They said, you have four hours to finish assembling it, whatever you need to do. Then we're going to have the audition. And tomorrow we'll fly out to Australia for your first appearance. Oh my <laughs> I was like, whoa. So they closed <laughs> the door and I'm in there in the, at Lucasfilm uh, right. completing assembly, of course, inside 
blowing up. I was just so grateful for that opportunity, which has led to 14 years of being a C-3PO for TV. That's crazy. And then, you know, of course that led to other stuff. Right. But uh, it, to answer your question, I know that was a long ways away. To answer your question, the training I got really was as a hobbyist and as a performer in a club, you know, the 501st, I treated every event as an audition, not, not that Lucasfilm's around or anything like that, but like, I, I want to work on my performance on, yeah. okay, this is a stormtrooper, you know, how would he talk, you know, all right, we'll check it out, you know, um, or, you know, uh, Boba Fett or whatever. I want to create the illusion that these, whoever's around, kids, families, officials, whatever, that they are meeting the real character. And uh, that was, that led to getting the, the audition. And then after that, I just continued to work on the performances. And uh, when I did a contract with Disney for four years, uh, Parks, I worked with the most amazing, talented, improv people you could ever imagine. I mean, these people are doing character meet and greets, but they're also doing live stuff on stage and improv is just there. It was the best school. That was five years uh, that I did that. That was it was kind of on the job, but right. but before that, I was just trying to do it myself. And uh, that was before, you know, kind of uh, before YouTube and stuff like that, where I was just doing stuff with the 501st. And that was, I really have to credit the 501st with yeah. providing or arranging opportunities in a uh, casual kind of a setting. I love it. I, I mean, going back to what a media C-3PO is, for the, for the listeners especially, what events were you doing? What highlights kind of stand out to you? And again, like you're talking about 15 years being the second C-3PO for a lot of people. And if you ever met C-3PO in person, it was you often. So what was that like? And especially any experiences that stand out to you looking back? It was magical. <laughs> uh, you know, people ask if you get claustrophobic in the C-3PO head. And um, you can see the right over there. That's the one I wear on TV. You really only see through the little black holes in the middle of his eyes, which uh -huh. which is very, very restricting. But you have to focus on what's on the other side of the mask. And that is people who are meeting the character that George Lucas and Anthony Daniels created together. And you, you know, I really wanted to be faithful to that and try and make it as, as real of an experience as possible for these audiences. So notable appearances. Um, if, you, if you remember the Oscars in 2016, where uh, for the first time since 1978, uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 appear on the Oscars. And, and uh, also we brought along BB-8. And uh, so that was, I was actually doing a Disney cruise, again, awesome work, uh, <laughs> Disney cruise for Disney parks, which C-3PO and R2 were, were appearing on. And while I was on the ship, they said, uh, hey, Chris, we have a call for the Oscars. Uh, we're going to check with uh, Anthony Daniels, see if he wants to do it. If he doesn't, then we'll call you back. And I was like, well, of course he's going to do it. He's, he's C-3PO. Okay. <laughs> and so I just kind of put it out of my mind. And then they called back and said, we need to get you off the ship because you're going <laughs> to the Oscars. And I was like, again, I'm not, I've prepared my whole life and now I'm not in the place where I need to be to do the thing. And so uh, anyway, we, we, we got off the ship, flew straight to Los Angeles and uh, we, we did the show. Notably, uh, when you see people backstage at the Oscars, they are not people in Lady Gaga costumes or people in Brad Pitt costumes. They are Lady Gaga or Brad Pitt or 
Dave Grohl or whoever, you know? So when they see C-3PO in the, in the back backstage, they don't want to see a guy in a C-3PO costume. They want to see C-3PO. And that's how I always uh, treated it. And so when we were backstage, we, uh, me and, and, and R2, we were autonomous. So it, it really appears, you know, the, the person controlling R2 is back in the crowd. And so he's not visible. Right. And so I wanted to make sure that we were autonomous. We're walking down the hall. Of course, we're lost. We're arguing, whatever, <laughs> you know, is this a droid maintenance facility? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. And so we're walking around and that's what everyone is seeing and, uh, and people are really responding to. So when I, when I first suited up and came out, I was uh, working with Lee Towersy, who has right. uh, uh, worked on the, the sequel movies as, as R2, very similar story. Right. In that he was an R2 builder, you know, and he, maybe you've talked to him, uh, but couldn't be a nicer guy, more down to earth guy. But he was also noticed by Lucasfilm and brought on to take on this this role. Right. We're, we're walking down there and uh, I come out of my my uh, room as C-3PO and um, Lady Gaga comes around the corner <laughs> and both of us at the same time were like, oh, oh you know, <laughs> And I said, oh, my goodness, uh, Miss Gaga, it's nice <laughs> to see you. And, uh, and she was like, she's a huge Star Wars fan too. Right. And she said, oh, C-3PO. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and, and we had this moment where neither of us say anything. And I was, so I just like went with it. I was like, um, we're very much looking forward to your performance. <laughs> and uh, she says, oh, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. And then R2 gets a kiss and stuff. But that's one notable the rest of, uh, you know, we, we were embedded to the Obama White House to meet the, the first family. And uh, uh, that was, I mean, again, incredible. <laughs> right. you, uh, you, you arrive and the bomb sniffing dogs all come out to inspect the, your cases and things. And I've told this story before, but, you know, I'm getting suited up in the, in the green room at, in the White House with Chewbacca, who has nothing to suit up. He doesn't wear pants. It's just, a, you know, his... his bandolier and um then i get on the um elevator with mary franklin from lucasfilm and two stormtroopers who were local 501st guys right and uh you know the whole time they told us president obama we don't know his schedule he's probably not even gonna be in town you know we figured yes no problem we're just at the white house you know for a you know a, a gathering of party so on the elevator this very small white house elevator we're going up to the main floor and we're gonna do our thing uh and the door opens a floor early and it's President Obama. And we have no idea he was going to be there. Right. And he goes, whoa, uh, can I get on with you? And we said, I said, why, yes, of course. And uh, so he gets on, stands next to me. Of course, at that point, I'm hyper aware that there are pointy things on, my, on the right. costume that I don't want to injure the President of the United States <laughs> in any way. And um, so uh, he, he, he said, uh, uh, you guys look awesome. And oh, I was like, hey, thank you. <laughs> and then uh, when we were, we were getting off, uh, he was going to do his thing. And then we would be reunited a little bit later in the evening. But I just said to, to Mary Franklin from Lucasfilm, I said, why he seemed very friendly. <laughs> you know, he was the administrator of this facility after all. <laughs> and um, I, I was just, you know, playing a, playing a joke, uh, inside joke with uh, Mary, right. you know, when Rubio first met Lando, the administrator of his facility, that's right. what he said. And anyway, everybody laughed. It was, it was great. We had a great time. Uh, and later in the evening, we met uh, with him and, and, and Mrs. Obama. That was the first time Michelle is meeting the droids. 
And she said, and I'm just, I, I just went straight to her to talk to her. And before I could say anything, I just said, oh, why, hello, I am. And then President Obama interrupts me and he goes, oh, Steve Rubio, can you stand next to me? And, <laughs> I, and I was like, okay. And then he goes, oh, wait, first, uh, can you say something to Michelle for me? And so I said, why, it's our pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, so then we took this photo and it was, is is incredible. There's, the, I have... <laughs> 50 other stories, you know, that are like that. They're just, it's an, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be, to work with Lucasfilm and, and uh, work with uh, directly with Anthony Daniels on a few occasions. And yeah. uh, so it's, it's a yeah, real treasure. Well, I'm glad you brought up Anthony Daniels because even like right now when you're doing the voice and everything, I'd be very interested in your experiences, either working with him or meeting him or anything like that. Was he trying to impart any knowledge or like what kind of has that relationship been like with him, especially early on as you're still learning the character and you're still trying to like right. do him honor as well, right? Like how has that right. been and with you and, and Mr. Daniels? Uh, the very first time I wore the costume as a fan, I... Um, it was at the Boston Museum of Science where they opened Star Wars Meets Imagination. Right. So my friend Chris Sanders, who I've ended up performing with, he, he also built an R2. We performed for Lucasfilm for many years. And uh, he was there with me on the first day, suiting me up. And and uh, we get to meet Anthony Daniels. And I, I'm like, this is excellent. You know, I <laughs> hope I don't screw this up. You know, right. he was very, he was very nice. And, uh, and he said, oh, let's uh, hear you do the voice. <laughs> and that's like meeting Elvis, right? You know, as an Elvis impersonator, and Elvis saying, "Can you? Why don't you? Let's let's hear you do me." So I said, "This is my first time before Anthony Daniels," and I said, uh, "Why hello, I'm C three PO, Human Cyborg Relations." And he goes, "Oh, that's pretty good. Um, let's slow it down. Why don't you slow <laughs> it down?" So um, you know, I was a little too much falsetto and stuff like that, and and then uh, in. In later times, you know, I, I went to Dragon Con one time in, in Atlanta and met him uh, in person in a private meeting area. And he looked over the costume and gave me some, some tips on animation. You know, again, at the time, that was the first year. Uh, I had already done my first appearance with Lucasfilm, but I, I didn't say that. But, you know, he was giving me tips on animation. You know, everything is isolated. The head is not connected to the torso. The arms are, you know, separate from the torso and stuff like that. And that was that was really helpful as well. And then since then, we had a uh, we did a live show at Disney Parks, at Disney World, right. hum, uh, at uh, Hollywood Studios in uh, Florida, where he <laughs> bumps into C three PO for the first <laughs> time because he never uh, has appeared with C three PO before this time because he is C three PO. You mm -hmm. wouldn't why why would he run into him? Right. And but because of the the, the magic uh, and imagination of the Imagineers at, at Disney, we were able to make this work. Disney brought me in as a contract from Lucasfilm. Anthony Daniels was there to do a, his one one man show. Anthony, right. You know my life as C three PO. And at the end, it's kind of a little finale. There's uh, the lights go down and there's this uh, silhouette behind a screen. Uh, or, or Anthony Daniels goes behind the screen as he is describing how he transforms into C-3PO, puts on the costume and stuff. So you see his silhouette go behind the, the you know, or his you know, shadow go behind the screen and the lights go down, lights come back up and you see C-3PO's silhouette behind the screen. And then C-3PO comes out, you know, and then Anthony Daniels comes out. And, <laughs> and <laughs> of course he, he's doing the voice for both of us. You know, he's recorded his lines. But when they meet for the first time, it's on YouTube, you can you can see it, but it's so 
special, not only for you know me as uh, as has been trying for for many years to perfect this really impersonation. Mm-hmm. But for the audience to see them together was really special because uh, they were talking about, oh, uh, you know, you're the most famous droid in the galaxy. And then Freebio <laughs> says, you're the most famous guy. I wouldn't be here without you. you. I wouldn't be here without you. And it was this, you know, hilarious, all Anthony Daniels all the time, right. you know, moment. And I loved it. It was so, I was just so grateful to, again, to be part of it. And he and I did all the rehearsals together without right. the mask and, and everything. And and uh, so we, we did work together in that way. And since then, he typically would record the voice and then I would do the body animation like we did for Oscars and things like that. But when you meet C-3PO in, in real life, in person, uh, there's no pre-recorded lines. I, want, I wanted you know, people to have a, an experience that is, what would, the, what would he talk about? What would he be arguing with R2 about? You know, things like that in the presence of these people so that it feels really real. That's, uh, you know, that, that's uh, all, the, all the meet and greets at Disney were all live. I, I had built uh, the costume with Chris Sanders to uh, have a, a microphone and amplifier so that it would project my voice loud enough so that people could hear and understand it. It's very clear and things like that. You know, so if if you were to meet C-3PO, <laughs> in person, you might say, my goodness, you... Uh, hello, your your T-shirt says written and directed by George Lucas. That name is quite familiar. <laughs> and uh, what is your name? And you would say, oh, I'm Brandon. Oh, why, Sir Brandon, wonderful to meet you. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations. And uh, this is my counterpart, r 2 <laughs> You know, and uh, things like that. And we'd have a conversation about things. You know. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, I mean, because again, you being able to take a character that we all know so well and and mold yourself into that while still breathing a new life and obviously new experiences that 3PO had never been in I think is a testament in itself and would be a reason to have you on the show in itself but then what I love is on the flip side of that being able to channel that creative energy and improv training that you've gotten on the job and costumes and everything that you've done but now with the Mandalorian being able to be be new characters and, mm. and breathe new life into things that now still feel so familiar, right? I mean, you're having zero Funko Pops being made. Like, it's crazy. I like know. what Like, what, what <laughs> has happened? So before yeah. before diving into all the characters specifically, yeah. uh, what was that call like? I mean, obviously you had a relationship with Lucasfilm, but then what was that kind of, let's, let's bring you over to this side of things conversation okay. like? Well, uh, Lucasfilm, I mean, sorry, Legacy Effects mm-hmm. knew of my work. Uh, someone who worked there knew about my work as C-3PO. Uh, they contacted me and said, we'd like to bring you in for a, uh, a fitting, a test fitting for a character. Um, it's a droid. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and so then uh, I went in and I saw the concept art by Brian Mattias, who works mm-hmm. with Doug Chang at Lucasfilm. And it is a bounty hunter droid, which I was like, Boba Fett mixed with Z3PO and he put them together. Like, well, how cool would that be? Or Forlom, you know, what would it be like? Forlom type character, what would he look like in, in action? But I just saw the, the image and he's got this big uh, blaster that looks like Boba Fett's, you know, rifle. Uh, he's got ammo pouches, you know, crisscrossing in his chest and he looks so awesome. It was so cool. And so we go to put it on. And uh, as soon as they put it on, you know, we're in a studio, there are people sculpting things and painting 
other things. And, uh, and you know, it's a, it's a studio full of working people. And uh, so as soon as I put it on, I just tried to exude what I thought this character might be like um, without, I didn't have any other information. So I, I was just like, let's, let's treat him like Boba Fett to start out with, you know, he's cool. Uh, he kind of looks like a bug. How would that look, you know? And so when I was walking through the uh, through the studio and I have the helmet on, I would just walk, you know, just really smooth as <laughs> people as I go by, you know. And then and uh, anyway, they can hear people, you know, making comments like, "Oh wow, that's that, that looks really cool." And so then I did a test, a screen test, where they just gave me some random pistol and said you know, do some things, you know, how would he move around and things like that. So I, uh, I did, uh, did some, we did some shots and, and then um, they sent it to John Favreau and that was the last I heard. And then I got a call later for um, the fairy man. I don't know if you've heard this story, but the, uh, the fairy man was who I was going to be um, coming to test for. And I was like, Oh, I guess I didn't get the droid. I really wanted that, but okay, well, I'll, I'll take whatever fairy man. All right. What am I going to be with the Ewoks? Like with right. woolen, you know, legs, and this will be a shirtless, obviously, uh, role. And I was like, no, this is Star Wars. It can't be that. And then she, you know, I, I, I said, can you tell me a little about this fairy man? And she <laughs> goes, um, well, he, he plays a flute. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's what it is. We're going to be a forest creature. And I don't care, whatever, it's Star Wars. Maybe I'll see some stormtroopers or something else cool, right. even though I'll just... And so then when I got down there and saw the costume, that it was the Kubaz character um, or species and realize and i saw the text oh it's the ferryman it is a character who in mythology would lead the dead across the the river to the afterlife okay that makes a little more sense i still don't understand the flute part but um that, that's why <laughs> i didn't see that but then um i i said um hey did you hear anything about zero the that the bounty hunter droid and they're like oh yeah yeah you you got that one too and i was like oh what okay <laughs> This day just got a hundred percent better. So, <laughs> so, and so then, uh, anyway, that, that was the introduction to the Mandalorian and, uh, several other characters. So, I mean, obviously with the thing behind me, like I love Garen Dan, right? Like I have a Garen yeah, Dan right, picture right. on my wall because with, with what the Mandalorian had shown before season one premiere, we had already seen a lot of it. We'd seen him in the bar. We'd seen the little thing close over the guy. So like, you're like, okay, like I know what's happening. And then yeah. as soon as the damn fairy man shows up on the screen and plays the yeah. flute, I it's like five a.m. in the morning, and I'm watching this episode, and I'm like, like I spring up out of my couch. I'm like, all right, I'm like they, they got me. Like this is it. This is all I've ever wanted. Out of oh, screen. that's great. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm glad that he. Oh, I've heard that uh, people say that, um, and I'm glad that he was so early in the in the show. When we were uh, doing the uh, rehearsal for that, it was me and Dave Filoni and. Uh, Mandalorian and also the um the blue guy played by Horatio Sands um Mithral Mithral yeah yeah so we were all sitting there and and I had lines in English uh -huh. um you know and so I just you know as an actor you come to the role with ideas don't wait for the director like to tell you everything about it just you know have some ideas and and then it gives the the director something to mold you know as opposed to a blank canvas he's got so much other stuff to worry about you know so i just brought a voice to it that um i was like well it's in english so i'm just gonna read it in english 
but what if he was kind of like a Russian car salesman? (laughs) Like, um, uh, you know, Mando says no droids. And I was like, oh, but I assure you this is brand new. It's, um, what was it? It interfaces with the R2 harnessing array like that. And, (laughs) Uh And, uh, Dave and John Favreau was also sitting next to me too. And Dave goes, huh? And John goes, maybe we should cartoon it down a little bit. And then <laughs> Dave goes, because you always, as an, as an actor, you always want to give them more than they need so they can, it's easier to tone you down than it is to tell you to, hey, give me more energy. And uh, anyway, so, so Dave was like, maybe it should be uh, alien voice. And I was like, well, it was an alien voice in A New Hope. I mean, you know. And he was like, uh, maybe that's going to be too many subtitles. And I was like, oh, I think it would be great, you know, as an alien. And they were like, uh, we'll figure this out. We'll, we'll, we'll think about this later. Anyway, <laughs> so then when the show came out and, and I was so happy that they used, you know, not my Russian car sales. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was, that was really special. Stepping onto that uh, stage, that frozen pier with the blowing ice and, the, and everything. And watching the Mandalorian has in that first scene where he walks out onto the pier and he's checking his his tracker right. and he's beeping and everything and you're seeing this frozen wasteland that goes on forever. I was like, I can't believe that playing with these fringe characters, you know, in my backyard has finally led to this. I love it. I, I just there weren't words to uh, describe it. I mean, because because those fringe characters are, I think like you're saying, we're the ones that gave us the most inspiration because they didn't have any parts. Even Garandan I love just because that, that sound he makes is Ben Burt went into the archives and got John Wayne. Yes. Voice and like That's messed right. with it, which I love. Like, I, mean, I think it's the funniest thing in the world. Um, which there's a cool connection to John Wayne in Brendan Wayne being John Wayne's exactly. grandson. Right. I, yeah. And he was, he was surprised to hear that that was John Wayne's voice as well. <laughs> That's great. I mean, going going to then the actual filming process, especially Zero was obviously a lot more involved with how much you had to do for that episode. And yeah. so talking about Brendan Wayne, talking about Latif, talking about working in the volume itself, what was that like for you as an actor, not only having to inhabit a droid and mm-hmm. a new character, but then really working within a, a Star Wars environment that probably was not the experience if you were working at a Disney world or, you know, at the right. Oscars. Yeah. What had changed was, uh, the, the only thing that really changed was the environment or the look of the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual performance, I'm doing the same thing as I would do, you know, if people are in front of me. Um, but you know, first of all, you're bubbling with excitement inside. You finally made, you know, uh, to Star Wars. I mean, I'd done other stuff, but it made it finally made it to Star Wars that you wanted to do all this time. But, you know, we are professionals. We're mm-hmm. telling stories. Right. Um, and, and you need to, you know, rein that in. And so um, as Zero, there was, it, I kept seeing in the script that Zero was going to be flying the Razor Crest. Right. I was like, that's my next dream. I can't wait to get to that day. And that day was like, months after I started filming. So every day I would go in, I was like, is this going to be the day I'm going to be in there? <laughs> and um, anyway, so uh, when when uh, Deborah Chow, who directed that episode, um, who is 
an awesome director. So, uh, so nice. So specific about, and really gives you what you want to, what you want. Um, she, uh, says, Hey, Chris, why don't you go, um, get familiar with the cockpit and, uh, we'll, and, and we'll come get you when we need you. Right. So like the cockpit is empty. Nobody's over there. And I'm, I'm like, I feel like I shouldn't be here <laughs> climbing the cockpit. And I put on my helmet and I sit in there and all of a sudden I'm seven years old again in my cardboard right. <laughs> spaceship with all the buttons and switches I'd drawn on there and everything and the windows and everything. Right. And Brandon, it was just like you would imagine. I flipping switches, the lights are coming on, I'm doing this and doing the levers and everything. And, and it was, uh, it was, it was just like I said, like you would imagine it was, it was unreal. But then when we're filming and you were surrounded by the volume and hyperspace is literal or space is literally surrounding you, nowhere that you look is green screen or blue screen, whatever. And, uh, and then when I say uh, jumping to hyperspace now, all of a sudden, all the stars stretch into infinity and it's real, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, we did it over and over and over and it never got old. I was right. like, here we go, strap in baby, you know? And, and so um, uh, that, was, that was just incredible. You know, the child was as real as you can imagine. Yeah. His eyes blinked, uh, his, uh, his hands moved and his uh, head turned, his ears wiggled and his mouth moved. I mean, it was just an incredible feat of puppeteering and engineering. Um, I had seen him when I went to go to, for my first, you know, uh, test fit at zero. And I was like, oh <laughs> my gosh, that's the cutest thing ever. Right. And also, you know, the biggest secret that, yep. that, for season one was that he was the asset, you know, and you, you know, all this time after we filmed before, you know, it was like a year before the sure. show, not talking about any of that stuff. I mean, it was, you know, I valued the, the work so much and, yeah. and the series so much that it wasn't really like, I wasn't dying to tell anybody. Um, but I knew when audiences saw this stuff, they were going to, you know, yeah. really enjoy it. So, uh, but yeah. And then, and then they asked me to do my own stunts and I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> That's great. I mean, the only other, I mean, cause you, you play so many different roles. I think there's four roles in season one that are you, which is a feat. Yeah. I mean, like I can't think of how many actors in star Wars have done that many. <laughs> the RA seven droid yeah. during the Warner Herzog scene. I read that you also built that. Is that true? And what was That's that true. like bringing something that you built to then be officially star Wars? Right. Yeah. So I, I had, uh, um, you know, built my own C-3PO costumes and uh, they had asked me, you know, we, for the scene, we'd like to have a, uh, a black C-3PO uh, behind the counter at the cantina. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I can do that. I'm also, you know, in our conversations, they, you know, it also came out that I was working on a Death Star droid or an RA-7 droid. You know, on this side, I'm an actor. On this side, I was also a prop and costume builder. And I was talking with them just about, you know, hey, what are you working on? Hey, what are you doing? You know, and so I just gave them an update on the RA-7 droid. And they were like, uh, wait, let's, we would like to use that for the cantina. I was like, oh yeah, cool. All right, well, <laughs> I got to get it chromed. So um, uh, I got it chromed. And of course, we immediately aged it to look, you know, like right. it was all anyway. Um, but that was yeah, that was that was really special to be able to uh, to build something that, that was myself 
on the Mandalorian. That would have been, I mean, enough, but <laughs> right. to be able to perform it as well was really great. Um, but that was my first uh, a stunt in uh, Mandalorian. And that was, uh, they were like, you know, it's the costume is very restrictive. Also, if you, you know, it can be really pinchy, you know, it's right. really tight. So wherever two parts meet, you know, it's can be pinchy. Um, but uh, anyway, we, um, I did do the, uh, the stunt uh, where we wired me with pyro and, oh, wow. and uh, it was an orchestra of stuff <laughs> in that scene. There's yeah. stormtroopers diving over tables, you know, uh, the, the client is falling backwards and there's, you know, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. And the gag is that the droid makes it all the way through and gets shot. Somehow someone shoots him, but no one's left, you know? Yeah. And, uh, anyway, that was painful, but, uh, it doesn't, you know, that's, that's part of the work, Brandon, right? right? It's, uh, it's not, you know, nobody wants to hear that, it, you know, oh, you were uncomfortable in Star Wars. <laughs> you know, it, it really was just a cool, uh, amazing a scene to do. Right. There was an accident that happened during that scene, the filming of that, and that accident was me. Um, and uh, what happened was we did this, we did this, rehearsed that that scene, people falling over stuff and everything seven times. And now we rig the whole set with pyro because we're gonna blow it all up. And so uh, now we're gonna do it live. I'm gonna fall on the pad. We're gonna do everything right. and one of the stormtroopers at the bar switches up what he was going to do. And so, you know, neither of us have great vision, you know, I mean, I have much better vision in, in RA seven than I do in three PL, but the, the stormtrooper just kind of like bumped me a little bit. We bumped into each other. Okay. Right. And, and it spun me around and I fell back on the hard floor, no padding or anything in this costume. And um, yeah, that was, that was pretty awful, but uh, they stopped, you know, stop filming and Deborah Chow and John Favreau came over like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And I was like, I just need to take a break for a second. <laughs> and so we took a break and I was like, but you know, how'd it look? Did it look cool? And they were like, oh, we're definitely going to use this somehow. We got to use this somehow. <laughs> so if you go back and watch that scene, Brandon, uh, you'll see me fall three times. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, uh, one, you know, if you just watch it slow, watch it over and over, you'll see one time my legs go flying up like this. <laughs> and another time you, you see me kind of like spin out of control a little bit. And then you see me finally fall on the pad. But yeah, we shot the, the, the scene, the shots and everything of that um, blowing up, you know, multiple times. And, and uh, that was, that was unbelievable. And then uh, I got to have another cool death with zero. I know. Incredible. And then I loved, I mean, we're recording this after the second episode of season two came out. Yeah. We saw Zero return for a moment. I was like, what a, nice, what a nice thing. That was, that was great. Like I say, droids never die. They're just deactivated. I love for it. Time. Right. And uh, <laughs> I, holding on to that secret because everyone's like, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people, um, you know, and online and stuff. People sure. say, oh, I hope Zero comes back. And I'm like, I can't say, I can't even say no comment because that, you know, saying no comment is uh, reads as something. People yeah. will read something into that. So I just ignored so many comments about I hope Zero comes back because inside I was like, I hope he goes back too. <laughs> so anyway, it was really great this, this past week to be able to see him uh, with the, the frog mama. Uh, <laughs> my friend Misty uh, Rosas, who plays, who also plays Quill, season one, um, that it was fun that her and Zero had, had a connection, you know, our characters had a connection where she 
I mean, if you haven't watched it, you can go watch what happens. Right. Yeah. It's great to see him again. Voiced by Richard Ayoade, British comedian. So oh, cool. IT crowd. Incredible. Yes. And uh, yeah, we talked to Misty before season one because if, if we had talked to her after, it would have been just an hour of me asking about Frog Lady because it was, <laughs> that was like, again, like the Garen Dan uh, in the beginning with the Perryman. It was like I was up at 5 a.m. and then at one point they go on all fours. The Frog Lady goes on all fours. Yes. And it's just like, I was like, okay, like I'm out for the day. Like it's over. <laughs> like that's enough. <laughs> Yeah, I was not expecting that. And then I was like, oh, yeah, she's a frog. What? How is that happening? Um, yeah, Misty is a fantastic performer going back to the, you said you already talked to her? Mm -hmm. Yeah, going back to, I don't know, the 80s or the 90s where she's been performing in creature suits. Yeah. Uh, and she's a legend. I mean, such, and not only that, but an amazing person. Yeah. Just uh, super down to earth, really great person, you know. Uh, Carl Weathers is uh, Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed, and right. you know everything else. And um, you know he's he's a little he's his personality is real larger than life, you know. And but a very nice guy. And so it was just such a treasure. It has been and continues to be a real treasure to be uh, working on this show. So um, there's something. Oh, Werner Herzog, he was a different um, interaction. Uh -huh. And his was um, that same simple situation. We were watching a scene being shot and uh, I was just, we were, I just happened to be standing there. And I was, um, I think at this point I was in, uh, oh, same thing. I was in my RA7 costume uh, and, and I just leaned over and was like, isn't this exciting? Cause this is like, you know, we've right. only been shooting a few days and, and Star Wars is back and on TV and this is going to be amazing. And he goes, this is serious work. <laughs> we are breathing life into these characters, <laughs> you know? And it was just, I was like, uh, yep. That's just what I was thinking. I was just thinking that, you know, <laughs> um, but inside I was, you know, kind of like excited. And, but in talking to him, you know, I remembered, realized, you know, yes, this is a serious production uh, and we have a job to do. We ha not only have a great weight on our shoulders for uh, telling a new Star Wars story for Star Wars audiences, but it's not just Star Wars audiences that we're doing this for. We're doing it for everybody. And we hope other people enjoy the show who even right. who don't know Star Wars, like Werner Herzog. <laughs> who said he'd never watched Star Wars before. And I was I like, oh, great. I loved his character was stunning. Yeah. I mean, every single word that comes out of his mouth, I was like, I just wanted to hear it again. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was just uh, incredible, you know, to be included in that, in that show. Giancarlo Esposito, you know, Gus from Breaking Bad, yeah, yeah. He always plays a bad guy. You know, he's always this sinister, uh, calm, deadpan, evil guy. And I'm watching him uh, film his hologram, uh, you know, from that cantina scene, right. uh, which is the end of the client. And I'm watching him film that and he's on a kind of green backdrop. And I'm literally like 10 feet from him, just watching him do it. And he goes, uh, you know, he does, he delivers his line, you know, uh, um, uh, you better check again, you know, on the yeah. child. And, uh, and then they go, okay, cut. And then he's like, the blows up into the most friendly like 
how was that? You know, and they're like, can you do a little more of this? And he was like, oh, you got it. You got it. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm on that. No got it. He's so friendly and happy and just so, you know, you've seen him in interviews now, too. He's just yeah. he's just like that all the time and such a treasure and a blessing to have on set. But, you know, then he goes, then we're rolling again. And he's like, you know, bad guy again, he's, <laughs> you know, uh, basically uh, ex-imperial warlord. You know, his, it was it was, I, I was just such such a treat and such an honor to be working with these these big guns, you know. Yeah, I mean, incredible. Everything that you've talked about over this hour has been just like a culmination of that hard work, that talent, that passion. And it is so inspirational. And now it's more like, what is left on the Chris Bartlett bucket list? Like, what could possibly be left? Keep going. I mean, I I just want to keep performing and keep, you know, what what is the next thing that's coming up? And yeah. uh, maybe a year from now, you and I will be talking again about yes. everything that's happening right now. Right. Yes. I have a feeling, I mean, again, we're not going to talk about anything. I have a feeling that we would have a lot more to talk about if this was six weeks from now or something like that. So we will be in touch, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or a year, whatever it is, but I'm excited to to catch up when the, the time is right. So uh, Mr. Yeah. Bartlett, thank you for coming on and, and telling these incredible, incredible stories. Oh, thank you. Well, um, again, the, this, uh, Brandon, I really appreciate, and it's really great to be talking with you and talking Bay 94. These next few episodes of The Mandalorian are going to blow your hand. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> I mean, these first few episodes were bigger. They seem to me bigger than any episode from season one. Right. And um, you, you're, I just, I just could be so happy. <laughs> That's uh, good. That's all. Yeah. Everyone puts so much love into this show, and uh, not only from the cast, but if you hear John Favreau talking about, you know, day to day what you know decisions that are being made and everything it all has to do with we love star wars we love the original trilogy we love the prequels we love the sequels we love you know because for me brandon i am a uh easily entertained star wars fan okay <laughs> i don't care what comes out if it's like new there's new droids and new planets there's new vehicles and armies or characters you know armor whatever i love all of it and so the star wars is in amazing hands with john favreau um in and dave filoni because they literally were just like us kids playing in the backyard with these fringe characters what is his backstory is he a spy for the empire what's the deal why is he in you know what else does he do and uh stuff like that i mean these are um uh, guys and girls who put their whole heart into this to, to make every detail uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you've seen star wars before or if you have if you've seen star wars before and you love it you will see and have seen probably things that are like oh my gosh i wondered what happened to that guy or you know like when we saw r5 on the last episode with right. Right. We were like, oh, there's the thing where the bad motivator popped out and the grease flew out, you know, right. like they are so tuned in to providing those kind of details so that people like us will will see that and go like, oh, it's like a little hug for us. Um, and then those who haven't seen Star Wars, the stories are really like antique stories that are brought for a new generation. You know, I mean, if you watched. You know, my kids haven't seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, Clint Eastwood movie, but they have, you know, seen similar stories uh, in The Mandalorian because, you know, 
they also haven't seen old samurai movies, but that's what those old Westerns were based on. And that's what Star Wars is based on. So it's, it's ancient stories that are being retold with, with different characters, but they're the same morals uh, to the story and the same, um, but new. And uh, so I, I love that. I love that a new generation um, of people or audiences are seeing Star Wars made by people who love it so much. I think that's a great way to end it. Again, thank you so much. What a what a treat. What a what an incredible like time. Uh, this was such, so 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 great. Um, thanks, Brent. A huge thank you to Mr. Bartlett for being such a great person to talk with. His enthusiasm for Star Wars is simply contagious, and I can't wait to see what he's up to next. This Friday is a new Talking Bay 94 merch drop, featuring restocks of old shirts, as well as new items I'm really excited about, including an edited by Marshall Lucas credit shirt, as well as a reproduction of an Empire Strikes Back sound crew shirt that you're not going to believe. Also this Friday, we'll be back on Scener doing a live rewatch of That Day's Mandalorian episode at 7.30 p.m. Central with our friends Alden Diaz and Kelly Knox. Until next week's episode, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the Force be with you.